we do give you the glory for our story. God, we thank you so much for what you did by sending your son to die on the cross so that one day when we're not here on this earth anymore, we know that we can have eternity with you when we put our trust in the one who died for us. God, thank you so much for that story. Thank you so much for being strong when we're weak. God, I thank you so much for being the Savior even when we were unfaithful to you. God, I thank you for loving us even when we're unlovable. And God, you are the Holy One and we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise for what you're doing in our lives and in the life of your church. Father God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us this morning as we've now sung in worship. God, I pray that you would be honored by the words that are said. God, I pray that they not be mine, but may they be yours this morning. And God, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit who ministers to us. And right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us into wisdom and into truth. And God, I pray that you would reveal what needs to be revealed to each one of us. Wherever we are today, wherever we came in today, God, I pray that you would, you would use your word, the living, breathing word of God, to change us from the inside out. May you pierce our hearts. God, may you be honored and glorified by everything that takes place here this morning. And we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory and we'll give you the honor for what you are doing. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You can be seated this morning. You can be seated. Well, for those of you who came in late or uh, I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here. And I'm excited that you are here with us this morning. Thank you so much for coming out on this very cold morning. You know, there are other places where it's worse, right? Most of you are from those other places, aren't you? You all call your friends on days like today when it's negative something in Ohio or Indiana or Michigan and you brag because it's only 40-something here. So anyway, I know people used to do that to me when I lived in New York City. So uh, that's the way that goes. Where are my first through fifth graders this morning? <laughs> nice, guys. You know, the first week it was like, yeah! And now it's like, eh, we're here. We're here. Hey, where's my first through fifth graders? Give a shout-out, guys. All right, there they are. We got some down here. We got some in the back. I think a few over here on my left. And uh, this is your last Sunday here. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Um, I, I have absolutely loved having you guys in here for these past few weeks while the renovations have been going on back in our island kids and Ignite area. It's been fun, hasn't it, adults and parents, to have them in here. And uh, if you're a parent this morning, yeah, give it up. That's right. All right, we've been happy to have you guys. If you're a parent, you can let your uh, first through fifth grader go in the back. There's a little table back there in our cafe area, and they can drop by there and pick up. Uh, there's just a little uh, fun sheet, and it goes along with the message today as we continue in our series called Change Agents. We come to this uh, kind of this uh, uh, fifth installment uh, of one of our uh, Change Agents. It's week six. We began uh, this series talking about how Jesus calls us to be salt and light. And salt and light both have the uh, unusual characteristic that they change their environment. So wherever they are, they change. Salt has a healing, preserving property. Light has the property of changing the environment that we see with our eyes. 
And uh, so it changes the environment that we are in, or it changes the environment, excuse me, that it is in. And uh, so we talked about that and the fact that Jesus called each one of us who are Christ followers to be salt and light in our world. And uh, so that is what we are supposed to do. And that's what a change agent is all about. That's what a change agent does. And a change agent will often do something or a few things in his or her life uh, that may seem small at the time or may seem insignificant at the time, but it has hu a huge impact in terms of the God-man story, in terms of us moving forward in our faith or someone moving forward in their faith. And that's the whole concept, that's kind of the whole idea that we've centered around here these last few weeks, and we've gone back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament. We've had some ladies, we've had some men. Let me just give you a quick review. For those of you who haven't been here in week one, we started with uh, the lunch boy, when Jesus miraculously fed the 5,000, which was actually more than 10,000. And uh, he used a little boy who had a lunch with him, and uh, that lunch, it probably wasn't a lunch bag like I just kind of indicated. I don't know what he had with him, but um, he had something that had bread and fish, and Jesus used that small amount of food to feed 5,000. And the change aspect of that was this boy, this young man, believed that Jesus could do the impossible in a hopeless situation when no one else would believe Jesus. And so the lunch boy was our first change agent. Our second change agent was a poor widow who gave everything that she had to God and trusted him with nothing, trusted him with literally everything in some aspects because she had nothing. And so she stretches our faith and our trust in the fact that God will provide, won't he? He will provide. And we can trust him with everything. We talked about a young king by the name of Josiah who stood for national reform in the Hebrew nation and the Israelites uh, during a period of time where he could have easily caved. Uh, he pursued God and the glory of God and the righteousness of God and changed the culture, changed the whole shape. He was the last good king of Judah, or the last good king of a fraction of uh, the Jewish people there. And then last week, we talked about a servant girl who was a young servant girl who spoke words of, of healing, spiritual and physical in nature, to a powerful general who finally listened and did the right thing. And because of her words, a pagan person came to put his faith in the one true God. And you, so you can see in each of these change agents' lives, they do something that presses someone or furthers someone or encourages someone in their faith walk. And that's the whole idea, the whole concept of a change agent. And today we come to this remarkable man. Uh, he's not quite as obscure as few of the, other, the others that we've looked at. We come to a man by the name of Jonathan. His name is Jonathan. And Jonathan was a, a remarkable man in his own right. And today we're going to take a look at 1 Samuel. In fact, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapters like 16 through about 30, just not like all of those. We only have, you know, half an hour. I'm not going to speak forever today. Uh, but uh, we're going to be in chapters 16 through 30 at different points. And take a look at this remarkable man who made a huge impact because of his loyalty and his faithfulness. And God will use our loyalty and our faithfulness in our lives to help further his kingdom. Now, you can't study this story about uh, Jonathan uh, and, and how he was a change agent until you kind of back up and take a look at Jonathan's history. This man was the son of the first king of Israel. 
Uh, as, as I've explained uh, in a few weeks past, uh, the, the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, were asking God for a king because all the powerful nations around them had a king. And so God honored their request and gave them a king. And the first king of the Jewish people was a man by the name of Saul. His name was Saul. And this is in the Old Testament. There's also a Saul in the New Testament who becomes Paul. That's a different person. This is the Old Testament character of Saul. And he is chosen by God, anointed by God, to become the very first king of the Jewish people. And at first, Saul was a very good king. In fact, if you read uh, 1 Samuel, uh, and Samuel was the judge and, and priest, really, of the nation of Israel who anointed Samuel as, as the king, if you read those first few chapters, you'll find out that this man was really obedient to God's commands. He was faithful to God. Saul was a man who loved God and honored him, and he ruled that way, but he was also a fierce uh, leader, a fierce military leader, and he had a lot of military victories, and even those were God-honoring because he followed what God wanted him to do in those situations. And he followed God, and he followed God, and he followed God, except for one day, there was one moment in time when this man by the name of Saul, who was following God, and he was a good king, decided that he would go off of the page of what God told him to do. And as soon as that happened, God released his hand of anointing on King Saul. And as often happens with you and me when we are obedient to God and then we become disobedient to God and God's hand is removed from us, often what happens to us is what happened to Saul, King Saul, and that is that he became angry and he became incredibly bitter and he became incredibly insecure so much to the point that he became paranoid. Uh, this guy had lost a few marbles upstairs. Let's just face it. I mean, he was really kind of out of control kind of about halfway through his time of being king. And so God removes his anointing. He removes his blessing. And he basically says, uh, no longer is he the one that's going to continue to be king. And Samuel, who was the man of God who anointed Saul as king, is terribly disappointed. He's very upset that this man that he kind of poured into and uh, spoke to about becoming the king of God's people is now no longer fit to be the king. And so he confronts Saul, and Saul confesses, but Saul continues in his wicked ways, and he continues to go down this path of becoming more and more and more paranoid, and things in the nation of Israel are out of control. Until one day, God says to Samuel, this man of God, this judge, he says, I need you to go, and I need you to anoint the next king. Now, at this point in time, Samuel was probably thinking, okay, the next king, as it is in many nations and as it is even in our day and age, the next king would be the firstborn of the, uh, boy of the current king, right? That makes sense. And so Samuel probably assumed that this would uh, be Jonathan, this one who was going to be king. But God had a different plan. God told Samuel to go out of the capital city of Jerusalem, out of the kingdom, out of where uh, Saul was and his son Jonathan, and to go to a remote location by the name of Bethlehem and to find a man named Jesse. And Jesse had a bunch of sons. And ladies, these sons were good-looking sons. They were handsome and they were strong. And guess what? They were all six feet tall. 
I mean, they make guys like me really mad. Sorry, guys. You know, it just is what it is. I, you know, I always wish I was taller. That's just one of the things I'll talk to God about one day, and we'll have a little chat about that. But anyway, and so Samuel is looking at all of these different sons of Saul, and they're powerful, they're tall, they're handsome, they're fit to be king. And God says, no, 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 no. And Samuel asks this man, Jesse, the dad, and he says, what other sons do you have? And Jesse says, well, I have one more son, but there's no way that he's the king. He's the runt of the family. (laughs) He's a short guy. I love it. And he's out tending to his sheep. He's a shepherd, and he's probably pretty filthy right now. There's no way he can be king. And God spoke to Samuel and said, that is your man. And Samuel anoints David, as we'll look at in a moment, to be the next king of the Jewish people. And so things are crazy. Now, meanwhile, Saul is in his uh, throne, and he's becoming more and more paranoid. He's becoming more and more insecure. He's, He's really fearful about what might happen. And his son, Jonathan, has gone out onto the military field. He's gone out to war, and he is winning wars against some of the major opponents and major enemies of the nation of Israel. And he's doing such a good job that the whole nation kind of rallies around Jonathan. But Saul takes the credit. He takes the credit for these victories that Jonathan is happen, happen, uh, having. And all of a sudden, there's a little bit of tension as you read through 1 Samuel that begins to be created between dad, King Saul, and his firstborn son, Jonathan, who's the rightful heir to his throne. And so there's this tension, there's this, this kind of animosity that begins to exist with this insecure king and his son who's getting all these military victories and everything's in chaos and Jonathan is bringing order. And so I want you to have the picture here that there's a king who's out of control, power run amok, just crazy out of control attitudes and actions, and his son, Jonathan, is bringing order to everything. I mean, this man, Jonathan, is absolutely poised to be the next king of the Jews. And if it had been that way today, we would say that Saul was the first king of the Jews and Jonathan was the second king of the Jews. But that's not the case, is it? We know that today the first king of the Jews was a man named Saul and the second was David. Awesome. Man, I heard a first through fifth grader say that. That was awesome, guys. David is the first king. But how that happens is where we find the secret to this change agent. Because David comes on the scene, and it's really amazing what happened. There were three things that happened as David comes onto the scene that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was supposed to be that next king. First of all, Samuel was told by God to go visit with David and to anoint him as king. And if that wasn't so surprising, at the same period of time, Saul is on his throne, and he's so upset about the condition of his nation, and he's so distraught about himself, he's going into deep and dark depression, and he says to one of his servants, I need somebody in my nation to come and to sing and to play an instrument to calm me down. Guess who they found? David. This man who wrote music, who was a a musician, I almost said magician, that would have been false. He was a musician, he played instruments, and he came into the palace, he came into Jerusalem, the capital city, and he sat at the feet of King Saul. So Samuel has chosen him as king, he finds himself completely separate from that event, 
sitting at the feet of the king. And then we know the most famous story about David is that there was this great group of warriors called the Philistines, and there was one giant Philistine. I'm sure a lot of you know his name. It was what? Goliath, awesome, all right, first and fifth grade, you guys are rocking today, 100%, A+. Plus. So anyway, Goliath is standing out on this, uh, this hill waiting for 40 days for someone to come and defeat him. And who defeats him? David. I love this, this is awesome. <laughs> David defeats Goliath. And so Saul the king brings him into his court, and he honors him, and he, he's so proud of this young, you know, short, you know, small guy. I'm telling you, I love this story. That he's just so proud of him, and he gives him honor, and he gives him a special place in his court. And so David is honored. And in that meeting, there in the court, David and Jonathan forge a friendship that's lasting. I mean, it's one of those friendships that goes all throughout their lifetime. They become very, very close friends. And there's a loyalty and a unity and a, 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 a kinship there, a, a connection there that is really, really strong. And everything seems like it might be on track with the Jewish people, except one thing happens a few, maybe weeks or months after this. The whole nation of Israel begins to rally around and applaud David. David becomes the national hero because he killed Goliath, the giant Philistine. And so all of a sudden, this king who was already insecure who already has tension with his son is now enraged that little old david is a national hero he is mad he is so mad and he spends literally the rest of his life trying to kill david saul is enraged he is so mad about this and david and his son jonathan's friendship just keeps getting stronger and stronger which i'm sure didn't help right and so this whole thing just is spinning out of control, not to mention the fact that Saul gave up one of his daughters to marry David, thinking that that might be a way for him to, you know, end up killing David. And they fall madly in love with each other, and the rest, you know, is history. That, that kind of backfires on Saul. I mean, things are just absolutely spinning out of control for King Saul. Tension between he and his son this young David who's small in stature and has killed Goliath and he's the national hero and Saul is ticked. But this friendship that's forged between David and Jonathan is where we find this change agent's secret. And it's something that we can learn from today. And I want to look at the loyalty. I want to look at the faithfulness of this man named Jonathan to find out how you and I can be a change agent when it comes to faithfulness and loyalty. Take a look at your notes this morning. Take a look at your notes. We're going to take a look at how God can use our faithfulness and our loyalty to help advance his kingdom and his message. Point number one, Jonathan was a change agent through his fierce and selfless loyalty. First of all, he showed loyalty to God by courageously pleading with King Saul to not kill David. He went to his dad, who was the king, and he pleaded for King Saul to stop pursuing David, his friend. Take a look at 1 Samuel. We're going to begin in chapter 16. Actually, I want to back up and see how he was picked, how David was picked, so that you can see that he was anointed by Samuel. Verse 6 of 1 Samuel 16 says this. When they came 
he, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse, the dad, not only did Eliab not become the next king, but Abinadab, that'd be a great name for a child, wouldn't it? You know, moms and dads, if you're expecting, maybe Abinadab would be a good name for your firstborn son. Anyway, I love that. And made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse sent, sent Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. In verse 10, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? We talked about this. There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes and he was handsome, and, but short. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the man. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, we read this passage so that you can have the context that this was God's man. David was the one who was to become the king of the Jewish people. And you can see that this was his hand-picked man, and it establishes not only the next line of the kings of Israel, but I want you to know something. For those of us who are Jesus followers, for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, this is the lineage that Jesus ultimately comes from. So you can see God's hand not just among the Jewish people, but you can see God's hand working to eventually get ready to save us all of humanity from their sins through Jesus. And that's important for us to know that this one David, that's the line that Jesus would come from and it fulfills so many different prophecies. It tells us that God is sovereign and that he is the one that's in control. And so now we have this fierce loyalty between Jonathan and David, and there's this period of time when Saul is pursuing David. In fact, there's a great story where, where Saul reaches back and he throws his spear at David, and David's so like quick, like he's got must have cat-like reflexes. So he runs out of, of the, uh, the where they were there, and, and Saul misses him, and it says his spear is stuck into the wall. Um, and so he completely missed David, and David escapes. But there are times when, when Saul is just pursuing David. Take a look at what happens in 1 Samuel 19, 4 and 5. Jonathan, to King Saul, his dad, spoke well of David. And he said to him, let not the king sin against his servant, David, because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you. He's done good things for you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. Dad, you saw it, and you rejoiced. I love that. Like, he totally brought that back up, you know, when he was talking to his dad, the king. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? You see, what is happening here would amount to treason. Think about it for a moment. If you're King Saul, and your son... The heir to the throne comes in, and he's protecting the one you're pursuing. He's tantamount to treason. This should be, at the, this moment in time, Saul probably had every right to do away with Jonathan at this point in time. And he was so mad, he was so crazy that he might have even done that. In fact, there's another story later on where Saul throws a spear at Jonathan and misses. He must not have been a good shot. But anyway, he's throwing spears all the time at David and Jonathan and keeps on missing. 
It's, it's just amazing what happens here. But Jonathan is fiercely loyal to David, and God used that. He used that to prepare the way for Jesus. It wasn't just about what was going on then. It's about what happened after then as well. He used his loyalty and his faithfulness in that regard. Point number two, he showed, Jonathan showed loyalty to David by willingly giving up his rightful position as king, knowing David was truly God's man for the job. He willingly gave up his right to become the next king of Israel, because not only because of his friendship with David, but he knew that David was God's man. He willingly gave it up. Take a look at this. This is great. I love this. 1 Samuel 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day. This is in the court after the uh, victory over Goliath. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David. It's a promise because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself. Now I want you to catch this. He took off the robe that was on him and he gave it to David. And he took his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, in this culture, in this day and age, this was essentially Jonathan saying to David, here is my birthright. This is you, this is me saying, I recognize that you are the next king. It's like handing the keys to your house over to someone who doesn't deserve the house. You deserve the house. You paid for the house, but you're handing your keys over to someone else and you're completely giving it to them. It was a symbolic gesture to show that he understood that David was to be the next king, not him. This was an amazing act of humility that Jonathan does here because he understood what God was doing through the course of human history. And of course, we know now that God used that act in an amazing way to ultimately bring about the Savior of the world. It's wonderful that he used Jonathan's faithfulness and his loyalty. I love it. Let's read 1 Samuel 23, 16 through 18. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish, and he strengthened his hand in God, and he said to him, Do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant. This is the second covenant that they made before God. And David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Jonathan was a change agent because of his fierce loyalty, but he also was willing to give up his rightful position to see to it that God's man would become king, not him. A completely selfless act, isn't it? Completely selfless act. Thirdly, and this is a little bit different, Jonathan even showed loyalty to his father on the battlefield, King Saul, by dying on the battlefield with him. You know, at this point in time, there's so much tension between Jonathan and Saul, and he knows his dad is mad. He knows, you know, like, man, my dad is going crazy here. Things are chaotic, uh, this whole thing with David, and now, you know, his daughter and all this stuff. I mean, there's so much going on. It would have been easy for Jonathan to say, hey, dad, good luck. You're on your own against the enemies. I'm not going out in the battlefield with you anymore. You're crazy. David is supposed to be the next king. God has a different plan for our nation. I'm done. 
I'm done. But Jonathan shows his loyalty even to King Saul, not against David in this case, but he shows his loyalty to King Saul, his father, by standing on the battlefield with him, even to the point of death. Look at 1 Samuel 31, 1 through 3. Now the Philistines were fighting. These are the Philistines, the same ones that uh, had Goliath, you know, that David had killed uh, before. The Philistines were fighting against Israel, and, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa, and the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkashua, the son of the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers, and he eventually dies there on the battlefield, Saul. He dies with his two sons there on the battlefield, one of them, Jonathan. The loyalty of this man was amazing. It was incredible. Have you ever had a friend that was fiercely loyal? Have you ever had a person in your life, whether it was a husband or wife or maybe another friend, that you knew absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that you could count on in any time of trouble? That's why Jonathan was with David. So much so, it went way beyond what you and I usually have because he was loyal to the point where he handed over the birthright, the, the, the ability and the right to become the next king of Israel. And his loyalty paved the way for ultimate salvation for you and for I. Those songs we just sang about. When we rejoice and we give God the glory for what he has done through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins, it began centuries before. And Jonathan's a change agent in this because he lays down what he has a right to and he gives it to David to see God's work be done. What would have happened if he hadn't done that? What was the alternate mission? Well, if Jonathan had not been loyal to David the most important king in Jewish history may have never become king. Now, I believe God is sovereign. He would have found another way to save the world. But this is the story, isn't it? This is the story. This is how it worked. This is how God was working. And he used this man, Jonathan, as a change agent in this story. What can we learn? The mission protocol, being a change agent requires humility and loyalty to accomplish God's mission here on earth. You see, one of the things that we talk about here at Hilton Head Island Community Church is I, I may be the pastor, and, and Todd Cooper may be on staff, and Cynthia may be on staff, and we may have our staff and our elders and uh, our stewardship team. We may have all these people in, in place. We may have leaders, but each one of you are ministers, those of you who have accepted Christ as your Savior. Each one of you, God can use to do great things. And guess what? Your church needs you. Your church needs you in remarkable ways. And making coffee on a Sunday morning is a remarkable way to serve your church. Serving out on the parking lot when it's 36 degrees and the wind is blowing like crazy, that's easy. Wait till the summertime for those guys. Serving in our island kids ministry, and we have a huge deficit in our island kids ministry right now, getting ready to uh, open up there in a few weeks. Your church needs you. Your community needs you. We need your service. God needs your service, not because he can't accomplish it without you, but that's how he accomplishes it. He accomplishes it, accomplishes it through you and through me, and it begins with an attitude of servanthood. Anyone who has ever entered the service of God, whether it was a volunteer or a formal position in his work, 
that did it with a prideful and haughty attitude has failed and not been effective in the work of God. It begins with humbling ourselves, you and I both, to do the work of God. Listen, on our staff here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, there is nothing, there is no work that we do that is too little for us to do. And that's the kind of culture that I want us as a church to create. It's what Jonathan did. He humbled himself so much to see God's work done. What's our change agent assignment? I love this. With a humble heart, become fiercely loyal to God, his leading and his truth in your role as a Christ follower. Humility and faithfulness and loyalty play such a huge part in the story of God. You can't imagine what your humility and your faithfulness and your loyalty to God will do in someone else's life. And it may be a direct connection or it may be an indirect connection. But if you humble yourself and if you are loyal like that friend of David's was, if you're faithful like that friend of David's was, if you're humble like that friend of David's, our change agent Jonathan, he will use you in remarkable ways. My best friend, I've talked about him before, his name is Brian Glaze. I always get in touch with him when I um, talk about him because I want to make sure that I have his permission. He lives in Atlanta. Brian and I talk uh, pretty often, once a month or so throughout the year. We were best friends in high school, stayed in touch all through college. And you know what? He knows something. He knows that he can count on me because I'll humble myself to serve him. But you know what? This past year, even this past week, he humbled himself to serve me. He made a huge impact in my life in the last 48 hours. You can do the same thing in the life of someone you know. If you'll humble yourself and be faithful and loyal, God will use you in a remarkable, remarkable way. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you so much for the story of redemption. And God, when we think about Jesus, we don't often uh, go back to this man named Jonathan, who, who really was the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. But God, you used his fierce loyalty, you used his faithfulness, and you used his humility to install David as the king, the most unlikely king that ever was. And from that, ultimately, came Jesus, the one who came to save, the one who came to die on the cross so that we could have redemption from our sins that keeps us from you. And God, today we thank you and we give you the glory and we give you the honor. Help those of us who are here today who are Christ followers to be faithful and loyal to the work that you're doing. God, help us to be faithful and loyal to the work that you're doing right here in the life of this church. Help us to be faithful and loyal to our friends, people that we know. God, help us to have servants' attitudes towards those around us. God, may we look for opportunities to serve and may you then take those situations and those opportunities and use it for your good and for your glory. God, I want to pray right now for those who may be in here and they don't know you as their Savior. And while Cynthia is playing in the background and your Holy Spirit is working in this place, I just want to say to those of you who walked in here today and maybe you're a skeptic, maybe... 
Maybe you really have never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've gone to church all your life and you never trusted Jesus as your Savior. I want to invite you right now. I want to challenge you right now to make him your Savior. To make that decision, that firm decision, here today on February 15th, 2015, to accept Jesus as your Savior. If you're in this room and you've never made that commitment, I want to invite you to just follow along with me in your heart the words that I'm about ready to pray. It's a prayer admitting that you're a sinner and accepting Jesus to be the only way to heaven. It goes like this. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for making me. But thank you for sending Jesus, your son, to die on a cross for me. Today I admit that it's, it's my failures and my sin that keeps me from you, God. But today I put my faith in your son, Jesus. If you're in this room with every head bowed and every eye closed and you prayed that prayer along with me, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Hold it up for a moment. Just hold it up for a moment if you prayed that prayer. Anyone pray that prayer? Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? If you prayed that prayer this morning, I just want you to look up at me for a moment. Everyone else, you can keep your eyes closed for a moment. Look up at me if you prayed that prayer. It's awesome. It's awesome. I want to make sure that you fill out that card in that worship folder that you received and let me know about your commitment today, okay? It's awesome. I want to follow up with you personally. God, I pray for these who said yes to you today, God. And I just pray that you would lead and guide them in their new faith walk. God, I pray that you would help them, whether young or old, to really trust you in their life. That that faith would be anchored deep in you. That they would lean on your word. And God, we praise you and we want to give you the glory for what you've done. Help us to do that. Help us to remain faithful to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.